Thanks, Matt. Welcome. I am so excited to be here for, with you this morning. But first of all, I want to talk about what it took to prepare to get here and maybe what you've been doing to prepare for tomorrow. Okay, who's going to fess up with me? Who's done a lot of preparation for tomorrow? Okay, who's done none? Come on, husbands, put your hands up. No, I'm sorry, that's not true. Yeah, I'm sure you've mowed the lawns. Okay. Who has, sorry, rung true? <laughs> Who has needed to pack stuff ready to travel somewhere? No? Okay. Who is hosting and has needed to clean their house? Huh. Okay. Who needed to count cutlery and crockery to make sure there was enough? No. Okay. Well, that's a win. Okay. Who needed to borrow extra chairs? No. Okay. Who made Christmas cakes or puddings before the 1st of December? Oh, we are a slack bunch. Okay. Who started their Christmas present shopping before the 1st of December? Oh, you bunch of shopaholics. My goodness. It's funny though, but we like to be prepared one day, but we put in so much effort. We do so many things to pull off this one special thing. We like to be prepared. So does God. He likes to be prepared. And so did the author of the book we're going to look at today, John. He is preparing us in this first chapter to meet Jesus. He moves us through a period of time and he brings us to the point that all the earth has been waiting for, the culmination, Christmas Day. But it's not really, we're gonna, it's, it's what we're celebrating, but it's not really, it's not his birthday. But there's this big lead up to it and then there's this statement and we will get there in a minute, but we're going to show you how he prepares us to get there. First of all, I need to plant an idea in your minds. Okay, another raise of hands. Who knows what a hyperlinking, hyperlink is? Okay, you tech-savvy people, put your hands up. Hyperlink, yes? Everyone knows what a hyperlink Okay. For those of you who didn't put your hands up, a hyperlink is a word or a phrase in a digital document that if you click on it, takes you somewhere else. It takes you somewhere to have more information or a more fuller explanation, or it adds to, or there's more references. There's something in it that will expand the thought you've been reading. Is everyone travelling with me? Okay, hyperlink. I think John uses hyperlinks in a way that is quite amazing. So he uses words and phrases that would have sent the original audience, whether they were hearers or readers, back into the Old Testament Scriptures and it would have expanded on what he was saying. So he says at the end of his book that there wasn't room to write down all that happened. He would have, there, there was not room in the world to contain everything that he would have had to say. But he also writes in chapter 1 and in the second to last chapter, his whole purpose for what he has curated and written for us is to show us that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, God, Emmanuel, Christ with us. He writes all of this to bring us to that point. And I love how he does it. So two weeks ago, Pastor David used some words for us. One of them was Advent, and he talked about it as arrival. I think I like to use it in the sense of the preparation, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, all that season of preparation. I like to use it like that. 
but it can mean arrival. So I, I like that, Pastor David. He also used, the, he showed us as he walked through those first four verses, he showed us how John was using words that were rich in imagery and history and connotation and drew the readers or listeners' minds back. John starts his book with in the beginning and it sends them straight back to Genesis. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He, made, he became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. These words in these first few verses are so rich in meaning and, and Pastor David did a great job of expanding them for us. And then last week, Pastor Mike uh, drew us our attention to another word. He drew our attention to the word dwell and how it comes from the word tabernacle and how the tabernacle that God instituted drew our attention to Jesus. Every detail, even the functional details of how things were run, pointed to Jesus. Does anyone remember Pastor Mike walking us through the tabernacle? How good was that? I was so grateful. I was sitting in my seat with bated breath. Please don't talk about the sacrifice at the, in the altar at the start. Please don't do, please don't. And he didn't because we are going to get there in a minute. But every detail up until this point has been fulfilled in Jesus. And John shows us that by using the word tabernacle, he is showing us that all the law, all the prophets, the tabernacle and even the temple were pointing us towards this moment in history, the culmination. God has been pointing out to humanity since the Garden of Eden that sin separates us from him and that the only way to be made right with him is through blood. Now, the blood that was sacrificed all the way through was only temporary. It wasn't permanent. But it also proved to humanity that we needed a way to be made right with God, but that we couldn't do it ourselves. And now we get to where we are in chapter 1, John. If you're with me and you're online, we're going to have the words on the screen, or if you've got a Bible or a device, we're starting in verse 19. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV, if your device is adjustable and you would like to find out where we are up to. So I'm going to start in verse 19. Okay. I'll point out some of the hyperlinks along the way, but not all of them because there are far too many and we would be here until Christmas lunchtime and I'm sure you would complain. Okay, we're good to go. So starting in verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask who he was. So we're going to hear about another John. Now, this isn't John the author, John the disciple. This is a guy called John the Baptist that John the author is writing about. And we're going to get caught up with the name John. So track along with me. It's going to get confusing, but I'm sure you're smart enough to, to do this. Now, John the Baptist stood out. He was obviously sent by God and the religious leaders who were looking for the Messiah have questions. Here comes John. He appears on the scene. You can almost feel like the spiritual atmosphere of Jerusalem at this point in history was charged with electricity. The crux of it was they knew that a lot of prophecy had been fulfilled and they are waiting. They are desperately wanting to have the Messiah come. They're living under Roman rule that is oppressive and cruel. They are not politically free. They have limitations on their worship and they are looking for a Messiah to save them. John appears. John's whole description of John the Baptist is that it was his job to prepare the way and to prepare the people for the coming Messiah. 
But John isn't, John the Baptist is not what anyone was expecting. He's been living in the wilderness wearing camel skins, so maybe a little bit smelly, eating locusts and wild honey. He was not opposed to attacking the religious leaders of the day and the the, um, people in charge. He called them at one point a brood of vipers. He was not popular. But his message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he baptises in water anyone who is willing to repent of their sin. And this is quite a new phenomenon. But every culmination, every promise and prophecy is coming to this point. So John the Baptist's one job description, preparing the way. So he responds to their question, who are you? He responds in verse 20, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Do you think they might have just gone, oh, phew, (laughs) not what we wanted. I don't know, it doesn't tell us. They asked him again, they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? Now, this is another major hyperlink. This would have thrown their thoughts back to the prophet Malachi in chapters 4, verses 5 and 6 particularly. Malachi writes about a prophet who would come before God's day of judgment. I wonder if they were afraid God was going to go, doesn't say. He says, I am not. The next question, are you the prophet? Another hyperlink, Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 22. This passage speaks of a prophet who would be sent by God to speak to Israel and it tells them how to know if the person who's saying I'm from God is actually speaking on God's behalf. And he answers, no, that's not me. Finally, we're in verse 22. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to the people who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And there's another hyperlink here, but I'm not going to delve into it. But you can almost hear their bewilderment. They think they know what they're looking for. But if you're not any of these, then who are you? And what is your authority to baptise? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, Verse 23, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. This is another hyperlink. This reference from Isaiah 40 verse 3 would have brought to mind the shift of God's actions amongst Israelites in Israel. He shifts from judging and disciplining their sin to comforting them and bringing them hope. That was a good thing. Okay, verse 24 Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptise if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Now there's another hyperlink here. Zechariah 13 verse 1 talks about a fountain of blessing from God that cannot be contained or plugged, flowing like water that will flow out to Israel, bringing forgiveness of sin. And John replies, I baptise with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Here they are. They think they know what they're looking for. And he says, nah, you don't know. 27. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This one's going to be great, John is saying. 28. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptising. Now there's a whole lot of hyperlinks in here because the geographical locations are really important. We're not going to jump into them today, but they are significant. 29. Here we go. 
The next day, so this chapter one goes over quite a few days, even almost a week. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the moment. This is the apex of history. The fulfilment of John's role, the revelation of the Messiah. This was his whole job description. But what's so interesting is the hyperlink, the choice of title John uses. And we're going to look at that in more in just a minute. So we'll skip forward. Verse 30. This is John speaking, John the Baptist. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. 31. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. That's his job. Now, this is not so much a hyperlink, but just a really interesting point. John, the Baptist, and Jesus were cousins. They knew each other. That's pretty cool. But he says, I didn't know who it was. They knew each other. They were born only months apart. John knew Jesus, but he hadn't yet been told from God that this was the Messiah. God had told him, we're here in Luke, God told John the Baptist that when you're baptising, one of the people you baptise, the Holy Spirit, heaven will open, the Holy Spirit will descend like a dove and land on the man who is the promised one, the chosen one of Israel, chosen one of God, the Messiah. The, the dove will land on him. Now, this is beautiful. That's how John was to know. He didn't know until after he had baptised Jesus that this was the Lamb of God. So we know that he's already been baptised and this is John making a grand statement. Behold the Lamb of God. Water baptism, a beautiful precursor of being washed clean. We use it ourselves as a declaration of faith and trust in Jesus. But another precursor, another pointing to the Holy Spirit came and descended and landed on Jesus, Christ with us. The Holy Spirit comes at the point of confession of faith and dwells within us, Christ in us. What a beautiful preemptive and directive link to the way our relationship with God would be changed forever. John the Baptist's whole job description was revealing God's way of reuniting us, dwelling not in the tabernacle or temple, but in a place where only some could go. Still restrictions, still separation. We were still essentially separated from God's presence. Only one person once a year, as Mike told us last week, could go into the actual presence of God. But God's dwelling and his tabernacle, it's now with us, in us, Emmanuel. Let's jump back and have another look at verse 29. So this is the, the crux of it. So the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, look, look. You can almost hear him shouting. Here he is, people, the one we've been waiting for, the Lamb of God. It reads like it was a spontaneous eruption that John shouted it to the crowds. Now, we've read the NIV and they use the word look as their translation. I actually prefer the ESV. It uses the word behold. Now, that's not a word we use in everyday conversation and I think that's why I like it more. Conveying the idea of take notice, pay attention to, be transfixed by, behold, awe and wonder, amazement. Pay attention, people. The word lamb, that's the massive hyperlink in this passage. It's such an interesting choice of title. Because up to now, 
The lamb who takes away the sin was only thought of as an actual lamb, a way to take away sin. No one was expecting the Messiah to also be the sacrifice. No one. This was mind-blowing. Here's your Messiah, people. Look, take notice. Here he is. Ta-da! This is amazing. And he's going to take away your sin. If John had shouted, King, Ancient of Days, Yahweh, pretty much any other Old Testament title for God, I don't think people would have been as surprised. But pushing people's thoughts to their sin and separation from God because it's not what anyone was expecting. The focus on the way to deal with sin is really surprising. The Messiah was supposed to be a political military figure who freed them from their subjugation to Rome, not the one who would free them from their subjugation to sin. Now, the lamb, the lamb, the spotless, blemish-free, perfect lamb. There's a whole lot of imagery here. We could go... I've just picked a few, okay? Not not all of the ideas of where this idea is linked to, just a few. And we're going to just skim them. So bear with me, we're just going to skim them. We're going to start with Abraham's lamb. That's the first hyperlink. Abraham's lamb in Genesis 22 verse 8. Now, if you don't know the story, Abraham was called by God, told to follow God, and in exchange, the promise would be that he would have a son who would have many children. There would be a nation who would come from him. Long time goes past, the promised son arrives and God says, sacrifice him. Now Abraham in faith declares that God would provide a substitutionary sacrifice in place of his son. God would provide a lamb. If you're looking for that, head to Genesis 22 verse 8. The next lamb that this would have brought to mind was the Passover lamb. Now, in Exodus, we're told about God's people, the Israelites, have been living in slavery under the Pharaoh of Egypt for about 400 years, and they are suffering. And God redeems them. He brings them out of Israel. And the final way of achieving their freedom is that the angel of death will pass over Egypt and take out the firstborn in all the land, animal and person. Now, the only way that the Israelites would be um, able to be covered and not suffer that consequence was that if they sacrificed the lamb and they spread the lamb's blood on their doorposts and lintel and the angel of death would pass over. Atonement means covering. They would be covered by the blood. God's protection. The next one is the sin offering. So in uh, Leviticus, we hear all the rules and regulations, all the things that the people were supposed to do. And God spoke to Moses and told them the way that they were supposed to make offerings. Evening, because their day started in the evening, and morning. Every evening and every morning, a lamb was to be sacrificed, perpetually, for all time. But what's so interesting is that 70 years after Jesus' death, when the temple was destroyed, the second temple was destroyed, those sacrifices ceased. They've never been reinstated. They don't need to be. How cool is that? But this point is that the lamb was sacrificed. So Leviticus 4, if you're looking to go back and read it. Okay. The next one that really jumped out to me was a suffering servant mentioned in Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet of God who wrote quite a lot about the coming Messiah. 
Chapter 53, he writes that we all like sheep have gone astray, but one will bear the iniquity for us all, the Lamb. And the last one I want to mention just here in this spot is the Day of Atonement. The day once a year when all sin was covered, there was a scapegoat, but there was also a lamb sacrificed, a corporate sin offering. Leviticus 16, if you're looking. Now, if none of these stories are familiar to you because you don't normally come to church and you're here because it's Christmas Eve, don't worry. I think we can all grasp the the crux of where John is pushing our thoughts to. In each one of these references, the lamb dies. The lamb's death and the shedding of blood is used to cover sin, the brokenness that came when we disobeyed God, and it allowed God to forgive people. But each one of them had to be repeated over and over and over. We can all grasp the idea that John is pointing us to Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the final permanent solution to our separation from God. God loves us so much that he was willing to become our sacrifice, willingly, lovingly taking the sin that we've done against him and bearing it on himself and forgiving us, releasing us from all judgment and consequences. And John is holding that out to the people when he says, behold, the Lamb of God, he's offering them to take another look. This is your way, your way to have relationship with God. And he's holding it out to us today too. Everything God has done and everything John has written leads us to this apex of history, this moment in time, to accept that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Saviour, fully God, fully human, the perfect sacrifice and able to pardon our sin, freeing us from the guilt and the shame that ties us down, freeing us from the slavery, the bondage that comes from living apart from God inviting us into his life, into living in his light, in his freedom. And that hope is held out to us today. When you behold Jesus, what do you see? This time of the year, we tend to look at the lamb. I loved what Pastor Mike said last year, the the cradle or the the manger is overshadowed by the cross. The stories are held together in tension. We're celebrating the arrival of Christ tomorrow. But the arrival of Christ that brings us hope, brings us hope of a restored relationship with the God who loves us. If you're sitting here and you haven't yet accepted Jesus as the Son of God and as your perfect sacrifice, if you haven't experienced the freedom that comes from having your sin forgiven and your life wiped clean, the peace that comes from relationship with Christ, of having Christ dwell in you, if you don't know that for yourself, then this morning is a great time to do it. Why wait? It's really simple. I like to put it in three easy steps. I don't know if you know, I'm a do the kids stuff. A, B, C, so easy. Accept that you're a sinner. All sin is wrongdoing. Anything good that you haven't done or anything bad that you do do, sin separates from a holy, righteous God who is totally without sin. So accepting that is the first step and it's, It's just essential. The second one is believing. Believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he is, that what John is writing is truth, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God. Believe it. And in that believing, ask him to do what only he can do, that only he can take away your sin. Ask him. Saying sorry. It's such a hard word for us. 
But it's easy when you know that the one you're saying sorry to is already willing to forgive you. And then you need to say it to yourself and to God. We chat with God and we call it prayer, but it's just a conversation between you and Him. But part of that is sharing it with someone else. There's nothing like a joy shared. So if you came with someone, share it with them. If you want to share it with the pastoral team or with the prayer team, share it with them. If you want someone to chat with God with you, share it with one of us. We want to help you do this. That would be the best celebration any of us could have for Christmas ever. That would be great. If you're sitting here or you're joining us online, and that's not you, you accepted Jesus a long time ago and you're very familiar with him as your best friend, then I've got a challenge for you. The forgiveness that is so freely held to us comes with an expectation that we will freely hold it out to others. It was never meant to be contained. The love that we experience, the light that we live in, the life that we have is meant to be shared. A couple of weeks ago, I came across a blog, a blog, a podcast actually, a guy that I like to follow and he's a preacher and he had some great thoughts. And it was quite a long piece of writing, but the crux that just jumped out and resonated with me was this. Christmas is a magnifier. Whatever was good before Christmas is great at Christmas. Who's noticed all the loved up engaged couples around this time of the year? Yes. Doesn't it feel good to have a special someone? Yeah. Great. What about if it was bad before Christmas? If you had financial troubles in November, well, December adds a whole lot more pressure. It gets worse. What was bad is now terrible. What about family drama? Mm, I'm sure that does not apply to anyone here. Nobody ever, huh? But if there was a relationship that was strained pre-Christmas, I guarantee by the time you are cracking a bonbon, you are ready to crack a head. Hey? Yes, doesn't it add to it? You just want to... Is there someone or something God is prompting you to forgive this morning? Forgiveness is a whole lot of things. We can forgive each other. We can forgive ourselves. We can ask for forgiveness but it's mostly about a choice, a choice for freedom, a choice to live in freedom, trusting that Jesus will take care of it. Jesus Jesus can take care of our sin and He can take care of their sin. And we do not have to carry either. Freedom. As we grow in the understanding of the enormity of the love the Father has for us, love that prepared a way from before the creation of the world, the love that sent Jesus to earth to dwell amongst us, to put aside his glory and be contained in a body, to provide a permanent way for us to be made right with him, giving us his righteousness in exchange for our sinfulness. This love transforms us and shifts our perspective. We will see that his forgiveness is freely available to us, but it's also freely available to those who have hurt us. He will help us see that what we've done is unforgivable. How can we hold that against someone else? He will help us forgive that which feels unforgivable. In Jesus, there is freedom and life for all who accept him. And I want to invite you this morning, if you're here and you're listening, along with John, the invitation, behold, take notice, pay attention to, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This Jesus, this Messiah, this Christ Emmanuel, God with us. It's so easy to get caught up in the season of Advent. We prepare our food and our tables and our homes. Sometimes we vacuum under the bed. No one's going to look there anyway. We prepare all the stuff, but we can also prepare our hearts. to prepare to celebrate the arrival, the advent, the chosen one of God came to earth. The son of God who is fully human and fully divine. The word who was God was with God. The one who created all and sustains all, fulfills all, the light of the world. This lamb is worthy of all honour, all praise and all glory. And before we close, I want to draw your attention to one more lamb. Remember that John wrote his gospel after Jesus' death and resurrection. The resurrected lamb. The author of the book of John also wrote a book called Revelation. And in it, he speaks of seeing this resurrected lamb. This perfect sacrifice conquered death and rose again. And I'm going to read to you a few verses out of Revelation chapter 5. But if you want to go back and read all of chapter 5, it is beautiful. So just bear with me as I read a few verses from Revelation 5. I'm going to read 11 to 14. This is John writing. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. That's Lamb. Worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever, our resurrected Lamb. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How can our response not be worship? To fall down and adore this Lamb. He is beautiful. I hope you join me in worship. We're going to sing a song in a minute. But before we do that, I really want to invite you, if you want to pray and you want to follow along with me, I'm going to say some simple words that if you need to be made right with Jesus will be helpful to you. If you've known Jesus for a long time, say them anyway. There's nothing wrong with a refresh and a recommitment of our focus and our love for Jesus. So would you join with me in prayer? Father God, we praise you. Jesus, we worship you. Spirit, we adore you. Here you go, people. Jesus, I am sorry for the wrong things I have done. Please forgive me. I believe you are the Son of God and I want to be made right with you, to live with you now and forever. If that's you saying it, please share it with someone else today. Jesus, thank you for leaving heaven to come and live in a human body, to become the Lamb of God. Thank you for conquering death. Jesus, there is no other name by which we can be saved. Thank you for the beautiful details wrapped up in the imagery we have heard about this morning, Lord. 
as we prepare to celebrate your birth tomorrow, would you help us prepare our hearts? Help us to forgive others the way you so freely forgive us. Fill us now with your hope, your love, your joy and your peace. And help us worship you today, tomorrow and forever. For you are the only one worthy of our praise. We love you and it is in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Would you sing with us?